As you all know, we're, uh, we're being challenged to pray, read, and share. Uh, so this week we'll be reading Romans chapter 5 at least once a day. Now, actually, I, I have the Blue Letter app on my Bible, and you can, you can open up Romans, uh, Roman whatever chapter you're reading and um, drill down into it, and it has an audio where it will repeat the chapter seven times for you. So I do that sometimes. I'll be getting maybe shaven in the morning, and I'm listening to the, the Bible, and it, it repeats the chapter seven times. So it really... You obviously become very, very familiar with it. So you're not limited to read it just once a day, right? You can you can read it more or listen to it more. And so uh, that's the challenge. Read it once a day so by the end of the week you're very familiar with that chapter. And then when you come to church on Sunday, what I'm preaching on, you've ar- you're already have been praying over it and reading it yourself. So I'm just kind of reinforcing what you, what you already know. And then hopefully you can find somebody just to share with uh, what you've learned that week in in your readings. So let's pray. Lord, as we open your word, we do pray that you would write it upon our hearts and minds, Lord. And as we come to this very important topic of faith, Lord, this is such a key truth that we all need to learn and walk in. And so, Lord, the Holy Spirit to speak to us, to teach us, and we're yielding our minds to Him and our hearts. He is the Spirit of truth. Lord, there's so many lies, so many, uh, so much confusion swirling around in this world, and, and Lord, we can... We can get caught up in a lie if we're, if we're not careful, Lord, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Help us, Lord, when those fiery darts come, those lies come, we can extinguish them by that shield of faith, knowing the truth and then just applying it by faith. And so we just pray you reinforce these truths in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So... We're in Romans chapter 4 today, and I'm going to go over seven points as we go through uh, each section, seven different sections of this chapter. But before we get into chapter 4, I want to really just do a quick review of uh, the first three chapters and then read a portion of the last chapter, uh, chapter 3, so we can remember how that kind of flows into chapter 4. And of course, in the original, uh, the the original text, there were no uh, chapters and verses. So sometimes it's good to to kind of try to forget about those uh, those numbers and just read straight through because it can kind of throw us off sometimes. Uh, the chapter breaks. So uh, of course, chapter one and two, and uh, about half of chapter three, Paul just reinforcing the argument that we're all sinners and that's what the law was given for and that God has uh, revealed himself through creation. He's revealed himself through his word and yet as, as sinners, as fallen people, uh, we're not listening to God. Uh, and, and then he really brings it home in chapter 3 where he says there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none who understands so some people uh, 
trust in religion, trust in their own morality, and Paul is saying you can't trust in any of that. Before God, we're all guilty. The law was given to just show us we're sinners, and we've all fallen short of the glory of God, and that one really nails it, doesn't it? Because someone could think, well, I'm a pretty good person, and I think my good deeds are going to outweigh my bad deeds, and you would, you would ask them, well, really, so you... You've lived, you've lived up to the very glory of God. Like when Jesus revealed his glory in the Mount of Transfiguration and his face shined like the sun, that's the glory of God. That's the holiness of God, the perfection of God uh, that we just shrink back from because of our sin. And, and the glory of his light shines upon us and, and, and we see the depth of our sinfulness should drive us to the cross. And that's the purpose of the law. Uh, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. And then he, he makes a turn on verse 21 in chapter 3. He says, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. So that we don't receive righteousness from the law anymore. That That's the old covenant. Uh, and even in the old covenant, that was to drive you to the cross, to the sacrificial system, to look forward to the Messiah. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed. So if you're trying to receive righteousness through your own efforts, promising God you're going to do better, um, making to-do lists, and, and, and kind of a you know, self-improvement, self-righteousness, that doesn't work. Uh, that's, that's trying to attain to righteousness through the law, through, through rules, through your efforts. And, and Paul says, now the righteousness of God comes to us in a different way. And at verse 22, the righteousness of God comes to us through faith in Christ, in Jesus Christ, to all and upon all who believe. So when you believe on Jesus, you recognize you're a sinner and you're willing to confess that to God and you say, Lord, forgive my sin. I believe I don't have any hope of a relationship with you outside of the cross. I bow my knee to Jesus Christ. I invite him to come into my life. At that moment, God declares you not guilty. All your past sins are washed away, and you are uh, fit now to enter heaven. That's a gift, isn't it? Because it happens instantaneously. It's not something you work up to. So uh, it says this righteousness now is um, given to you, to you, but it's also on you. And so we talked about this a little last week. So not only are we declared not guilty before God in his court, as it were, but now the Holy Spirit comes upon us, is in us, and now we begin to learn to walk in God's righteousness, right? So God wants, to, wants us to change and to grow, and that's what much of the book of Romans is about, learning how to walk in the Spirit by faith. And so then uh, the rest of chapter 3, Paul uh, brings home the truth that uh, the reason we're, we're forgiven and the reason God was able to declare us not guilty was because of the cross, uh, the, because of the sacrifice of Jesus. God couldn't just wave his hand over us and say, hey, you're forgiven. I'm God. I can do anything. God by, had to, uh, in his justice, uh, satisfy his justice. And at the cross is where uh, God's uh, justice and mercy meet. It's a beautiful thing, isn't it, to meditate on the cross. And so then in verse 27 of chapter 3, Paul says, so where is boasting? So you can't boast uh, that you've performed before God and earned his favor. No, it's a gift. 
uh, verse 28. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. So then that's what he begins to expand on in chapter 4, really talking about Abraham's faith. And remember that this whole message of the gospel was, was brand new in the first century, and Paul is laying out the, the reasons uh, that this gospel is true, and now he's pointing people back to the, the very beginning of the Bible, uh, in the book of Genesis, uh, the story of Abraham. So let's, let's jump into chapter 4 and, and read what Paul has to say here. What then shall we say that Abraham, our father, has found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works... The wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. So I wanted to read those first couple verses in a different translation, and I think it, it's helpful to us to, uh, to better understand what Paul is saying here. You know, it's interesting as you read scripture and you might come across something I, I you know, and say, I don't really understand what he's trying to say there. I mean, hopefully you, you have those questions. You're not just, you know, mindlessly reading through and checking the box. You really read it and try to say, well, okay, what is he really trying to say there? And there are sometimes uh, scriptures that... Uh, you read it, say, I don't really know what he what he's talking about there, or part of what he's talking about I understand, but the other part I don't. And so maybe you go read a commentary or look at the original language. Uh, and this particular verse, verse 1, where uh, it says, uh, Abraham, uh, what he has found according to the flesh, I have found different uh, views on what he means there. Uh, and... I always try to look at the context, right? What is what is he, what has he said before? What has he said after the you know the twenty twenty rule, twenty verses before, twenty verses after? You always want to read scripture in context. And so, in I, I like the New Living Translation in this particular case. Uh, I don't always like the way they translate things, but in this case, I think they got it right. And and they're saying in verse one, Abraham was humanly speaking the founder of our nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? So when it says, uh, Abraham, our father, what has he found according to the flesh? Uh, he's not talking about the flesh versus the spirit there, which we, he talks about later. Really, he's just talking about, let's look at Abraham, who uh, is the founder of the Jewish nation, because Paul is, is now... That's exactly what he's doing. He's trying to get the Jewish people to uh, think about this whole idea of living by faith before God and saying, let's go all the way back now uh, to Abraham. So his let's go back to the Jewish ancestry, the very beginning of it, to uh, Abraham. And then verse 2, it says, if his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have something uh, to boast about. But that was not God's way. So verse 2 where it says um, he has something to boast about but not before God, 
that's one that's a little confusing too. And and I think uh, what he's saying there is exactly what the New Living Translation says that uh, he, he uh, if he was justified by works, uh, he would have something to boast about. But that wasn't God's plan. And now Paul's going to go on to uh, lay out what God's plan is. So the faith of Abraham, he wasn't justified by works. And this is what the Jewish people were struggling with, with this new message of grace. And this is what religious people today still struggle with. And they want to look at their works and think that it's going to make them right with God. And this is not what the scripture teaches. Very clearly, he says, if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about. So if you've accomplished something in your religion that's made you right with God, then you could say, hey, I've been faithful to go to synagogue every week for the last 20 years. I've been faithful to always eat kosher food. I've, I was circumcised. I never work on the Sabbath. And you just check the box and say, I've done it all. Kind of like that rich young ruler. All these things I've kept from my youth. He was really self-deceived. He thought he was okay with God. But then why did he come to Jesus and ask, what must I do to receive eternal life? He knew he was missing something. And, and, and when Jesus said, well, you know, sell everything you have and follow me. I'm the Messiah. He wouldn't do it. So uh, obviously he loved money. He loved power, his position. He wasn't willing to give up everything. So his sin was, was revealed. But when you really understand justification by grace, you don't have anything to boast about. All you can do is thank the Lord, right? And that's what we, we should all be about is walking in his grace, thanking him, being in a place of worship. And then, of course, uh, obedience follows as we, we walk in the power of the Spirit. So verse 3, uh, it says, what, what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. See, every Jew would have been familiar with that because Abraham, you know, the, the, really the father of the, the nation of Israel, and Paul's highlighting the Scripture saying, this is, remember, this is how Abraham had a relationship with God. This is how he was uh, accounted uh, righteous. So now this is really a, a financial type of term where it's the same word used, uh, imputed or accounted. So you think about sin, almost think of it in, in a financial way, like, okay, you sin and you're um, incurring a debt. And we read that in one of the earlier chapters in Romans where it says uh, you're, you're storing up for yourself wrath for the day of wrath. It's almost like you're, you're storing up this debt that you owe God. And God says, okay, you didn't accept my son. You're going to have to now pay uh, the bill for this uh, wrath or, or this sin that has piled up in your life. <coughs> and is, excuse me. So this uh, <clears throat> sin can be seen as is like a debt. And so he's saying uh, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him or credited to him or imputed to him for righteousness. So God said, you believe me, 
Uh, now I'm going to uh, put in your bank account. I'm taking away the debt and I'm giving you righteousness. And then verse four, now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. So you don't work all week and then you go to your boss and he says, uh, hey, I wanted to just you know, give you this gift. Uh, and you're like, well, this isn't a gift. You owe me my paycheck. I worked all week. And so Paul's making this distinction between works and and grace and believing. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him, who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. So this chapter is all about faith. It's about faith, about believing the promises of God. And he says, you, you don't work for it right there. He says to him who does not work, you know, there's certain, uh, religions, even in Christianity that will say, well, uh, it's grace plus works. And Paul says right here, no, to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. And then uh, verses 6 through 8, Paul talks about really the blessedness of forgiveness. He says, just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works, blessed are those who are, whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. So, Paul's dropping some pretty big names, Abraham and now David. And again, every Jew would know these, these uh, saints. They, they looked up to them, and, and Paul's trying to reason with them to think about these great men of God and their relationship with God. And, and of course, now when you think of David, you think of, well, you know, David and Goliath, but you also think of David and Bathsheba, right? And so David had this major sin in his life that he fell into in adultery and then uh, murder. And yet when he was presented with his sin by Nathan the prophet, he, he repented and God granted him forgiveness. And I believe this is what Paul is referring to, that David in the Psalms wrote about the blessedness of enjoying forgiveness. So that brings great hope to all of us, right? The enemy would try to hold up our past over us or others may try to remind us of our past. And the Lord says, no, you're blessed. You're forgiven because you've come to me and asked forgiveness and you've come to the cross. Your lawless deeds are forgiven. Your sins are covered. I am not going to impute sin to you. And again, that's a financial kind of thing. God is not going to hold it against you. He's not going to have that debt hanging over your life. It's, it's forgiven. You're forgiven. You're blessed. And so see these, these are the types of verses that we need to remember and actively apply in our life by faith. When the enemy comes and tries to condemn us and paralyze us, this is where our faith kicks in. Remember the shield of faith we learned from Ephesians six and say, well, no devil in, in, uh, Romans four, it says, I'm, I'm forgiven that God has not imputed sin to me. 
and I'm, I'm forgiven. And I might not feel like it, right? You might feel like you're a sinner. You might feel that guilt, but you can't live by your feelings. We live by faith, see? And we're never going to progress with the Lord unless we learn to walk in these things and, 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 and learning to live guilt-free to say, that's under the blood. The Lord has forgiven me. I'm a blessed person. And I believe that by faith because God says I'm forgiven. And then uh, verses 9 through 12. Well, if you're keeping notes, the first point was uh, verses 1 through 5, works versus faith. Verses 6 through 8 was the second point, uh, the blessedness of forgiveness. And then the third point is, does the blessedne uh, blessedness to circumcised only, as a question with a question mark, is, is the blessedness to circumcised only, verses 9 through 12. So let's read that. Does this blessedness then come upon the circumcised only or upon the uncircumcised also? For we say that faith was accounted to Abraham for righteousness. How then was it accounted while he was circumcised or uncircumcised? Not while circumcised, but while uncircumcised. And he received the sign of circumcision, a seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had while still uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all those who believe, though they are uncircumcised, that righteousness might be imputed to them also, and the father of circumcision to those who not only are of the circumcision, but who also walk in the steps of the faith which our father Abraham had while still uncircumcised. So Paul Again, speaking to this Jewish audience, the church there at Rome was a mixture of Gentiles and Jews, and there was certain tensions between them. So he, he keeps ministering to <clears throat> you know, the Jews and the Gentiles, wanting them to get along together, wanting them to understand how this new uh, message of salvation works, and really pointing out that there's not any group of people that are better than the other group. Uh, the Jews, because they were circumcised, you know, aren't better than the Gentiles who aren't. If you come to Jesus, you're on the same level ground. And so he's, he's reminding them with a great argument. He's saying, think about when Abraham was declared not guilty before God. Was he circumcised when God declared him uh, not guilty or was he uncircumcised? Well, we all know he was uncircumcised. It was many years later that he was circumcised after God first proclaimed him righteous because of his faith. And and the Jews would know that. And hopefully the light would just go on. Oh, yeah, well, of course, you don't have to be circumcised to be justified before God. Abraham was an example of that. But he was also an example to the Jews that uh, that uh, circumcision was really a seal of the righteousness of faith. And I love that in verse 11, that, that phrase. And some of these, some of these gems from uh, Romans, as you're going through, you might want to just write them down to, to remember, remember them. To think about uh, that, that the righteousness that I have in my life is by faith. And don't you need righteousness in your life to live right, to do what's right every day? Don't you want to be a disciplined person, a holy person? Haven't you seen sin do enough damage in your life to where you want to overcome sin? And I, I, I hunger and thirst for righteousness, don't you? And, and hopefully you do. Well, Jesus said, if you hunger and thirst, you come to me, you'll be filled. So we always want to be focused on the person of Jesus. But I love that phrase, the righteousness 
of of the faith. So anytime I'm lacking righteousness, how do I get more righteousness? Just a self-help book or a promise to do better? Um, no, it's exercising faith in Jesus. So I'm struggling with uh, my devotional life, and I'm ah, I just can't seem to get up and be consistent or. Uh, Go to the Lord in faith and say, Lord, would you put in me the strength to be to be righteous in my devotional life, to be righteous in my Bible reading, to be righteous in the way I treat my spouse, to be righteous. And the Lord will pour it into us. And, and that's a whole shift in thinking for some of us who used to be more religiously minded. And we would just uh, kind of try to work at it through self-effort. And so... Uh, yeah, that's the message in those verses, 9 through 12, um, really thinking about this whole idea of circumcision and uh, reasoning through this for the, for the Jews. And then verses 13 through 17a is uh, grace is a sure thing, Number or my fourth point. Grace is a sure thing. So let's read 13 through 17a. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For those who are of the law are heirs. For if those who are of the law are heirs, faith is made void and the promise made of no effect. Because the law brings about wrath. For where there is no law, there is no transgression. For it is of faith that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seed, not only those who are of the law, but also those who are of the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. So I just didn't like the verse break there, so I'm making my own. I'm just saying we'll stop at 17a. Uh, so um, this is good news. See, grace is a sure thing. It says that, um, verse 16, Therefore it is a faith uh, that it might be according to grace so that the promise might be sure to all the seeds. So somebody could say, well, I'm just not very religious and I, you know, I just can't live that way. Um, I don't have the discipline. I don't have, and I used to think that before I was a believer. I was like, I, I would started to change my heart and mind and think, well, I, I kind of would like to be a Christian. I, I would like to stop taking drugs and alcohol and just my life's just a mess. And I see other people who are Christians and things seem to be going better for them. But I just don't think I could, I could live that way. I could be that holy. And of course, I didn't understand how it works, right? That once you come to Jesus, he forgives your sin and then he fills you with his righteousness and you and it, it's not a stressful thing to live righteously. You want to live righteously and righteousness is a free gift. That's the thing that we need to to learn over and over again. It's a free gift. So uh, verse uh, 16, it says that it's according to grace so that the promise might be sure. So because God's righteousness to you is a it's a free gift of grace. And all you have to do is exercise, uh, exercise faith and say, yes, Lord, I, I want your grace. I want your grace. I want your righteousness. That's all you have to do. 
ask for it. Recognize that God is providing it. Ask for it and say, Lord, I believe and help my unbelief. And God gives you his grace. And that, that includes forgiveness and it includes power to live for him. So um, a lot of good gems in there. And, and we're moving fast because we're going through this whole chapter. But um, again, I encourage you just to pick up those gems that really speak to you and write them out. Uh, but verse 13, there was one of those gems where it says, but through the righteousness of faith. So again, God recognizes your faith as righteousness. This is the new covenant. So uh, the next point, 17b, number uh, five, is faith sees God's ability. So now really defining uh, one one aspect of faith. So 17b says, in the presence of him whom he believed or Abraham believed, God who gives life to the dead and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. So this is a real key. If you're going to have faith, what is the object of your faith, right? It's not yourself. It's not people. It's God. So Abraham had this understanding of God that he just believed, well, God can give life to the dead. And they're probably referring there to when uh God had asked him to sacrifice his son, Isaac, and Abraham thought, well, you've told me, you know, that Isaac was going to be uh, the father of many uh, children, so you, I guess you'll have to raise him from the dead if I kill him. And, and for uh, Abraham, you know, that wasn't a problem. He's like, hey, God can give life to the dead and, and calls those things which do not exist as though they did. So that's, that's a real key in understanding how faith works. A person who walks in faith is meditating on the ability of God. And so, uh, you know, you, you feel a deadness in your life. Your faith says, oh, well, God can give me life. And you, maybe God gives you a vision of something he wants to do in your life. And you look at your own inability and, and your faith says, well, God, um, he just calls those things which do not exist as though they did. God, yeah, this thing may not exist now but God can just speak it into existence. And that's the kind of God I serve. And I believe God is going to do it. So that's a very key verse in understanding faith is focusing on the ability of God, not your inability. And that's the, the next sex section of verses 18 to 22, where we now uh, uh, examine Abraham's faith. We examine Abraham's faith. So let's read 18 through 22. Who contrary to hope in hope believed so that he became the father of many nations according to what was spoken. So shall your descendants be. And not being weak in faith, he did not consider his own body already dead since he was about a hundred years old in the deadness of Sarah's womb. He did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God and being fully convinced that what he had promised, he was also able to perform. And therefore it was accounted to him for righteousness. So now this really shows us an insight as to how Abraham was thinking and how God was pleased with his faith. So, of course, Abraham got this promise that he would be uh, the father of many nations, and yet he had no children. 
Of course, that's what his name uh, meant, Abraham. And so Abraham heard this promise from God, and yet he looked at himself. I'm old. I can't produce a child. My, my wife is old. She can't have children, yet God has promised us a child. How is this going to happen? Well, Abraham again, because of the way he viewed God. God can do anything. Of course, if God told me he can do this, he will do it. So he believed, even though in the natural it seemed impossible. It was contrary to hope. And he believed what God said. He says, no, your descendants are going to be many. And Abraham, not being weak in faith, he didn't consider his own body. He, again, so I can't produce a child. So what? God is God and he can do a miracle. And even though I'm already dead, I'm 100, almost 100 years old and Sarah's womb is dead, doesn't matter. Uh, he didn't waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith. See, he just kept feeding his faith. And faith, verse 20, gives glory to God. When we believe that God can do anything in our lives, and we don't allow unbelief to crush us, and we don't focus on our inability. I mean, Abraham could have just walked around and said, man, you know, the time has passed. It's too late. Too bad God didn't speak this to me when I was younger, when I could have children. He's like, no, God told me it was going to happen, so I believe it's going to happen. And we know Abraham even struggled in his faith, don't we? It doesn't even mention that here, which is nice. God seems to overlook our, our lack of faith. But, um, but this is beautiful. It, it just encourages us and, and reminds us how we're to walk in faith. As, as God may show you something he has for you and you think, well, I'm, I'm unable. I could never do that. And yet... Faith says, yeah, but God could do it in me. And I'm just going to begin to feed my faith on, on scriptures related to God's promise and believe that God is going to fulfill what he has promised to me, even though there's many obstacles and hindrances. And so he was fully convinced that what God had promised, he was able to perform. So God said, that's righteousness to me. And really... See, that's what faith is. It's believing in the work that God has done and is going to do, not believing in our works. And God says, I've provided salvation through Jesus Christ. My son died on a cross, took your sins, was buried. He rose again. This is my provision for you for salvation. And yet many people reject that. They're not willing to acknowledge that is God's path of salvation and say, okay, God, I'm, I'm open to that. I, I receive that God. See, that's all faith is, is recognizing what God has done and saying, do it in me, God. I'm, I'm, I'm open to it. I believe it. And so we, again, we may see a work God is calling us to a change that God wants to make in our life. Faith says, okay, God, well, you got to do it in me. Here I am. Here I am. Just do it. I believe you can do it. You can change me, God. And that pleases God. That's the righteousness of faith. And then the final point, um, faith in the cross, verses 23 through 25. Now, it was not written for his sake alone that it was imputed to him, but also for us. It shall be imputed to us who believe in him, who raised up Jesus our Lord from the dead, who was delivered 
up because of our offenses and was raised because of our justification. So now Paul turns this whole argument in faith, of faith and says, guys, this is where your faith is to be focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. And, you know, when I, I hear some of these faith teachers that they're always talking about health and wealth, you know, and it's really disturbing to me every time I hear them, it's like you can almost predict it. I mean, don't you guys ever preach about anything else? And and it's always about faith in God providing wealth for me, God healing my body. And it's like you guys are missing the point. Your faith is supposed to be focused on the Lord Jesus Christ, what he did on that cross. And that's where you're going to commune with God. That's where you're going to receive from God and give him worship. And this is what Paul says. Verse 24, it shall be imputed to us who believe in him who raised up our Lord from the dead, who was delivered up because of our offenses, who was raised to our justification. He's pointing you back to the cross. Jesus was raised up for you. He was, deli he was delivered because of your sins. And then Paul is going to now expand on this in the next few chapters. This is where he's going to spend his time focusing on the cross. You died with Christ, Christian. You rose with Christ. I'm telling you, this is where the answers are for your life. And this is where I believe, as Christians, we need to understand this stuff. We, we need to understand faith. That's how we're going to interact with God. See, intimacy with God, closeness with God, comes by faith in Jesus. Now, we do works that flow out of that, but works don't bring you intimacy with God. This is what many Christians get confused about. See, I don't care if you're not doing anything for the Lord and, you're, and your uh, devotional life has been terrible, you've been dominated by sin. At this moment, you could just say, Lord, I come to the cross. I, I not only receive forgiveness for my past sins, but I receive uh your power to overcome sin. I, I believe I died with you. I rose with you. And you should at that time understand, you know, you're, you can have intimacy with God, closeness with God. It's not something you have to work up to. And then, of course, the works should follow that. And we should be working hard for the Lord. But that's kind of a separate issue. You understand from that intimacy with the Lord through faith in the cross. That's what this is talking about, being a righteousness being imputed to you so that you can now come into the very presence of God and your sins have been dealt with. So you can sit on the Lord's lap, you know, Abba, Father. You can have that beautiful closeness with the Lord and it has nothing to do with your works. It has everything to do with what he did on the cross. Now, if you want rewards in heaven and, and all of that, and like Paul said, I work harder than all the other apostles, yet not I, but the grace of God that, that is in me. So if we want to talk about working for the Lord, and, and Paul said, man, I'm, I'm looking forward to that crown, and I, so I'm, my life is uh, to, devoted to Jesus Christ. I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. I'm a servant. I'm going to do whatever he tells me to do. But that had nothing to do with Paul's int intimacy with God. You know, I mean, what if you're like an invalid and you're, you're, you're stuck in a bed? You, you can't do anything, and you, and you think, oh, well, I guess I just can't really see God's you know, I can't have that closeness with God because I'm not serving God. I'm not out doing things for God. No. 
you can have intimacy with God through the cross of Jesus Christ. And works and service all follow that. So, and I, I need to go into chapter 5 a little bit here because, it, it uh, again, the chapter break is a little bit awkward. But So he's saying, look, I'm focusing your faith on the cross, verses 23 through 25. And they says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So there it is, that intimacy, peace with God, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And not only that, but we glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, perseverance, character, character, hope. Now, hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us much more than now much more than having now been justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were reconciled, when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through his death of his son, much more having been reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. So all my point of reading all that, we can't get into it. We'll, get into that next week but again it's all about relationship you're not really seeing anything about service here and and what paul is saying not only do you receive forgiveness but there's much more even than forgiveness and he says you're um if we were saved by his death how much more will we be saved by his life so if his death brought forgiveness to you there's, a, there's even a much more. He's saying now he's resurrected. He's living with you. He's living in you. You should be living a resurrected life. You should be rejoicing in God. You talk about contrast. We were running from God. We were afraid of God. We were, we were enemies of God. We weren't rejoicing in God. Now because of what Jesus did on the cross, we can come into God's presence by faith and say, I believe I'm forgiven. I am going to rejoice in your presence. Now that's a mind blower to me. Because I would always just think God would say, what are you so happy about? You know, you're messed up. You're, you're been, I'm not pleased with you at all. You know, let me, let's just go over the sins you did just in the last hour. Wipe that smile off your face. You know, that's not how God is. He says, no, God's excited because he sent his son to the cross. I've dealt with your sin. Let's get close. Let's get intimate. I love you. I want to. Be one with you. I want to pour my life into you. I've, yeah, but Lord, I'm a sinner. Didn't I already tell you at the cross? You died. You died with. I judged you on the cross. Your sin is dealt with. And you know, Jim was talking about that excitement about coming to church. You know, what about our excitement with the Lord? You know, I see those examples too. You know, when I take my granddaughter to the mall and she sees the the waterfall there at the Rainforest Cafe and she. She yells out, ooh, at the top of her lungs and starts running toward the, the waterfall. And I'm, and I'm like, yeah, big deal, waterfall. I've seen it a seen it hundred times. You know. Waterfalls don't excite me. 
what a dumb kid. You know, no, I mean, no, you're excited. <laughs> you're excited with the kid. You're like, that is so awesome, you know, how you, and then, then right away the Lord starts speaking to me. Are, I mean, are you excited about the living water? Are you excited about the free flow of my spirit available to you at every moment? Or you're, you're walking around, oh, man, life's rough, life's tough, man. I'm suffering. You know, it's like, well, yeah, yeah, it's hard. It is hard. But in the midst of that, are you, are you claiming that intimacy with God? Do you see what, how ridiculous, ridiculous it is to focus your faith on health and wealth when it should be focused on the cross and intimacy with God? And, and don't, don't you have enough to fight off in terms of, of, of condemnation? and self-loathing and and all this stuff that gets in the way of our intimacy with god god loves you he wants to be close with you he wants to be one with you but if you're living over here under in condemnation and feeling a distance from god and someday i'll be close to god you know this is what i used to think i'll be like that saint you know when my prayer life you know gets to where i can pray through to god and be close to him someday i'll get there you know that's a lie that's a lie you go to the cross right now and you, you can be one with God, close. You can be rejoicing in God. Who rejoices in God? Most of the time we're like, oh, man, I feel so guilty. I'm such a lousy Christian. I should know better. No, let's just put that behind us. Let's, this week, let's just begin to walk in faith and focus on the cross. That's what these verses are doing. And let's meditate on these and... Uh, and, and then Paul's going to go in to uh, tell us about how, you know, sin shouldn't abound in our life. Because why? Because you're super disciplined now? No, because I'm going to remind you, reckon yourself dead to sin, but alive to God. I died with Christ. I rose with him. There it is. I'm walking in victory. And, and the light starts to go on. You're like, whoa, I've been lied to. I have been lied to. This wealth of beauty and life has been accessible to me daily through faith, and I'm I'm being religious about the whole thing. And if I can just work up to it someday, it's it's available now by faith. So Lord, teach us these things, Lord. It's so intimidating preaching through this because it's well, it's impossible to explain unless the Holy Spirit shows it. And and so Lord, I just ask that for each of us that we'd have a spirit of wisdom and revelation. Because you can't figure this stuff out with a natural mind. It's, as Paul says, it seems like foolishness to the, the natural mind. That we just say, well, hey, man, just do your best. Just, you know, you can do it. And that's, that's foolishness. But you've laid out for us the path of faith very clearly. Spent a lot of time on driving that truth home. Faith, faith, faith. That's how you're going to get close to me. And it's faith in what I've already done on the cross and I can now come into your presence. It's all grace. It's a gift. And I can have intimacy with you, rejoice with you, have power with you, all because of the cross. So may we refuse any other path because we will be tempted. Those religious thoughts will come back. And we're just gonna we're just gonna hold up that shield of faith and say, No, I'm I'm at the foot of the cross. I died with him, I rose with him. By faith I believe this, and the Holy Spirit's gonna Reveal it to me more and more as I yield my mind to him and my heart to him. So, Lord, as we go, we're asking for true revival here, true change. And, Lord, that 
this would go deep into our hearts, and we're believing you're going to do it as we yield to your spirit to teach us in Jesus' name. Amen.